0: Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Good morning, City Collective. Thanks for joining us for Church Online. Today, today is Pentecost Sunday. And the story that we find in the book of Acts of the Spirit of God coming into the upper room and falling upon the disciples is a meaningful one. And even for us today, When we think about what that means for us as a church, that we're not just one person with a great idea that we're presenting to everyone else. This is a group of people who have come into a place and encountered the presence of God, that the Spirit of God has fallen upon each and every person in our community. And therefore, you have a voice to share and a message that is important to you and important to other people. So today we get the privilege of hearing from five individuals in our community that will bless you with their stories and share a little bit of wisdom out of Colossians chapter three. And so the first thing we're going to do is hear that piece of scripture. So if you could join us in reading Colossians chapter three, verses one to 17.
1: Colossians three, one to 17.
2: Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where
3: Christ is
2: but Christ is
3: all, and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience.
4: Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts,
1: since as members of one body you were called to peace.
3: And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed,
2: do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Good morning, City Collective. My name is Thea, and I've been with City Collective since January of last 2019. Um, It's been an incredible journey so far. This community has been amazing, and so I feel super privileged to be here to share what's been on my heart uh, with Colossians 3. So when I first read this passage, the first image that popped up for me was the concept of clothing. Now, when we wake up every morning, we put on fresh clothes, and that represents a new day, a new beginning. Amidst this COVID season, I have unashamedly been in the same home outfit for more than just a few days at a time. I would roll out of my bed in my PJs or in my sweatpants and I would just feel comfortable in it. I didn't have the urgency or the desire to change out of it. It was comfortable and easy to just stay in what I was already wearing. Yet scripture says the contrary. In other words, Paul is telling us to get out of what we know to enter into something new. How many of you in this COVID season have had to put on jeans or something nicer just to be productive for the day? I have totally done that. Putting on new clothes sounds easy, right? I mean, it feels good to have something new and fresh to wear. But notice that Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Death. That's a big word. So I started to question, Thea, what do you need to put to death? What parts of my old self am I still carrying into this new life? So I realized that new life for me looks like putting to death the shame in which I was living in. My past experiences and hurt in this life have told me and led me to live in this belief and guilt that I was not worthy or deserving of love. That I didn't matter, that I could never belong and that I could never be enough this deeply rooted shame within me caused me to run and hide from connection. And it kept me from being my real and authentic self. And most of all, it kept me from God's truth for my life. A few weeks ago, I was determined that I wanted to start dressing more intentionally to represent myself better. Now, shopping just isn't my forte and I can find comfort in staying in a long sleeve tee and some ripped jeans and some old pair of Converse. One day, though, I came across this website, and maybe you know it, it's called Frank and Oak. And essentially, it's a bunch of stylists that get together and put pieces of clothing into a box and ship it out to you. This sounded like the perfect thing for me. I didn't have to do the work, and I can just have access to new clothes and a new wardrobe. Now, I can't afford this, and so I accidentally forgot to cancel the subscription. And a week later, I got an email saying that my box was being sent on its way. Oops, but I decided that I would return it anyway. I was just excited to see what was inside the box either way. Now when it did get to my door and I opened this box, I looked inside and I immediately thought, whoa, that won't look good on me. When I saw these outfits on the website, it looked so good on everyone who was wearing them, but as soon as I saw it in front of me, I couldn't even imagine how I could wear it. Shame was knocking at my front door all these things that we see in other people can feel like it fits them better than it fits us maybe you feel that humility looks great on them but i have too much pride hope sounds genuine from her but i faced way too many disappointments to experience that again and how about purity purity has been a restoring journey for him but i'm way too deep in my sexual sin to start now When we don't put to death our old selves, the new life that God has for us seems intimidating and it seems impossible. It just doesn't feel right for us. It doesn't feel like it'll ever fit. It's like trying to put on new clothes on top of the old ones we already have on. We begin to think that this was never meant for us. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you and I can't experience joy to its fullest because we haven't let go of our resentments. Maybe we were were struggling with genuinely loving others because we haven't faced our anger. Putting on self-compassion and forgiveness for myself felt so shallow and insufficient because I wasn't undressing the shame that I was already wearing. So what does new life look like specifically for you? Which area of your life do you need to put to death and discover newness in? In my own story, I picture myself chained and prisoned to my shame when Jesus came to trade spots with me. He gets me out of my orange jumpsuit and puts it on himself so that I can be set free into this new life. God is our personal Frank and Oak stylist, and he's replacing our orange jumpsuits with fresh new clothes handpicked for each and every single one of us. And the best part is, we don't need to return it. Let's step into this reading together and dress the part to represent God's kingdom.
1: Good morning. Uh, My name is Dan and I've been a part of City Collective Church for about two years now. Uh, and I have the privilege of being the uh, worship team lead along with our very own Anthony Splain. Uh, And I'm so pumped to share with you today. So uh, let's jump in. The scripture uh, we're looking at today is Colossians 3. Um, And as we know, the themes are um, putting on the new life of Jesus and putting off the old. Um, When I read the scripture, something specific popped out to me, and that was the idea of legalism. If you don't know what that word is, basically put it's prioritizing what we do for God rather than what he does for us. It's stressing pleasing God rather than having a relationship with God. I kind of think of it as a kid who comes home for dinner and he insists to pay his parents for the food. He doesn't need to. The food is free, the meal is free, but for some reason he's set on paying for it. In the same way God's love is free for us, legalism is insisting on still paying for it. Growing up, this idea of legalism was a big part of my understanding of God. My family, being from South Africa, was a bit more legalistic. um, And my dad made sure that from a young age that I conformed to the rules. Um, As a child, I was made to go to church religiously. And I wasn't really ever given a reason why. It was just something you do. It was the right thing to do. In turn, the only way that I found that I could have a relationship with God was by doing the right things. By being the best son I could, by reading the Bible, by praying, and by serving at church. All of these things were my way of getting into the good books with God. There was little to no belief that God could want to have a loving relationship with me. And even more so, I didn't. I, if I didn't do anything, I didn't believe that God would even want to have a loving relationship with me. I had to earn it. So with that in my mind, as I read this uh, passage, verse 12 stuck out to me. um, And I'll read it to you from the Passion Translation. It says this. You were always and dearly loved by God. So robe yourselves with virtues of God since you have been divinely chosen to be holy. You were always and dearly loved by God. What struck me in this is the fact that the verse starts with the fact that God loves us. It doesn't start with us rowing ourselves in all of these great things. It starts with God loving us. In my journey it's been so significant for me to spend all the time and effort trying to make God love me by doing things. I needed to realize that God loves me rather than thinking I need to earn God's love. As I've grown spiritually I've learned that grace is free, that God is good that there's nothing that I can do to earn love. However, I still find myself believing that I need to earn it. Planning for this talk, I kind of, I had to think, like, why, why, where did this come from? Why can't I just think that God loves me freely? Why can't I just realize that? And I was brought to my relationship with my father. As I mentioned, he was uh, very conservative, and that relationship really drastically impacted the way that I view my relationship with God. My, God, or my dad was conservative to the point that I felt like I needed to hide my emotions. That I needed to hide the things that I did so that I wouldn't get in trouble. If my dad knew what I was doing, if he knew the bad things I did, he wouldn't want to love me. He wouldn't want to have a relationship with me. So I tried to hide these things. I tried to be good. I tried to be the best son I could be so that he would love me. From reading scripture, I know that God is all-knowing. I know that he knows what I've done and what I do. Therefore, he knows that I screw up often. He knows that I haven't been the perfect Christian. And similar to my relationship with my dad, I find myself thinking and asking the question, why do I think God would love me even though he's seen the bad that I do? If I don't work for it, why would he love me? He can't possibly give love freely after all that I've done. Grace in my mind was not free. You had to work for it. You had to earn it. You had to be good enough for it. And this is why I love this passage, because God comes into the picture and he completely flips it. We don't need to earn God's love. He gives it first before we do anything. Like it says in the passage, you are always and dearly loved by God. You are dearly loved by God. If you're at all like me, you know that it's not easy to break from this mindset. You know it's not easy to believe that God gives love freely. But while we were still sinners, God died for us. While we had no interest in God, he died for us. He loves us first. And it makes me think that Christ is the perfect and the ultimate image of love. That we come to him just as we are, broken, sinful, and he loves us unconditionally. No matter what we do, he loves us. Philip Yancey says this about grace. Grace means that there's nothing that I can do to make God love me more and there's nothing that I can do to make God love me less. It means that I, even I who deserve the opposite, am invited to take the place at the table in God's family. Though I still struggle with relationship and with my relationship with my father and my relationship with God. I know that grace is free, and I know that God is good. Where I once stood in the shadows of thinking I needed to be good enough for God, I now stand in the freedom knowing that God loves me, and I am enough because He is enough. I no longer have to pay for what is free. I can just come to the table and eat freely. So I want to challenge you to live in that truth as well. Because when we discover the picture of Jesus' perfect grace, We are invited to believe that we are dearly in love by God.
5: Hi guys, my name is Kristen, and I have the pleasure of serving as one of the co-leads of the production team at City Collective. I'm so excited to be here in your living room or wherever you're watching from. I'm going to be focusing on Colossians verse 14 and 15, and full disclosure, I'm a nine on the Enneagram, so of course a scripture about peace and unity would ca- or catch my attention. Before I get into breaking down scripture, I'd like to share a story with you guys. So when I was in my late teens and early 20s, I played competitive softball. And sometimes at the end of a game, we'd all go out for all you can eat sushi. So there's a couple of things I want to draw your attention to. Number one, we were going in our uniforms. And if you've ever seen softball pants, they are not designed to eat sushi in at all. For like the full distention of our stomachs, like no go there. The second thing is athletes and unending something, which was sushi. And so naturally we had sushi eating competitions. And so we'd be around the table, we'd make our orders, we'd be like laughing, we'd be poking fun at each other. As soon as food would come to the table, the energy shifted. We'd be like fiercely looking at each other. How many rolls did you eat? How many pieces of sashimi did you eat? What about how much jello? And by the end of the night, because we'd been paying no attention to how full we were as we were eating, we would end up with belts undone, jerseys untucked, stuffing rice into like the little teapot so we wouldn't get charged, pray for me. And some of us would be like waddling to our cars after the fact. So what am I getting at here with sushi eating competitions and putting on love and letting the peace of Christ rule our hearts? Paul tells the Colossians in verse 14 to put on love above all else. So this sounds like an intentional choice and actually kind of simple if you break it down. Put on unconditional love and let the peace of Christ rule our hearts. These verses describe a beautiful interplay of gratitude, peace, and love that are supposed to help us live in peace and unity with each other and with God. But it does seem clear and simple, but when you break it down, our world often lacks peace. So where have we gone wrong? And the question I've been asking myself is where have I gone wrong? So we have talked about eating too much sushi, wearing completely inappropriate clothing for the occasion, and making a competition out of something that already would end up in full bellies. Sushi isn't bad. All-you-can-eat sushi absolutely isn't bad. But when I was so focused on my teammates and what people were doing around me, I didn't leave feeling feeling very good. Peace is something I always am pursuing. I'm always desiring. Again, shocker, I'm a nine on the Enneagram. But I found that anxiety and chaos and conflict are always so close to me and seemingly knocking at my door. So the question I've asked myself here is if I've surrendered my life to Jesus, Who is the prince of peace? Why is my life, my heart, and my surroundings lacking peace? I've come across two issues or themes, you will, in my life. Um, The first one is my definition of peace, which was just that. It was my definition of peace and not God's. Putting it simply, my definition of peace was a world that lacked conflict where my relationships could exist without misunderstanding or negative emotions or hurt. And I held so fast to this belief system that I had that I completely missed the mark that, of the peace that God actually offers us, which Paul talks about in Second Corinthians 5.18. It's a peace where reconciliation is possible. A peace where reconciliation is possible between us and the God who made us and died for us reconciliation between people, especially in relationships that have deep hurt and pain connected to them, where God walks us through our pain. And so we can arrive at reconciliation on the other side. And so this thing of conflict that I have been so terrified of and still can be at times, if I'm honest, that's not what reconciliation is. It it opens up a door into conflict where I can, instead of losing connection with people, I gain connection. I can walk into deeper levels of love and understanding with God, with myself, and with other people. And the other big thing I came across, number two, is the beast of comparison. Just like me focusing on how many pieces of sushi my teammates are eating so I could eat just one more, I found myself looking outside at what everybody else is doing and comparing myself and things like leadership, um, where someone else is at in their emotional healing compared to myself, um, school, exams, where someone is in their walk, maybe down a similar dream that I wanna be, but I'm not there yet. And I took my eyes off of Jesus. I took my eyes off the Prince of Peace, and I had my peace and my joy robbed for me in those seasons. And so I wanna leave you with this question. What are you doing in your life? Or what choices have you made that are keeping you from the peace that God offers us? Is it something that I've experienced where your definition of peace doesn't align with God's? Is it something where maybe you're putting conditions on the love that you're offering other people? Or maybe you're not fixing your eyes on the one who offers peace.
3: Good morning, my name is Sam. I hope you're all doing well during this season of staying home. My husband Jeremy and I have been attending City Collective for about two years. We joined the church just before it launched. This church has been a huge gift to us and we have had the opportunity to um, meet some incredible people and build some wonderful relationships. Uh, One of my favorite things about City Collective is that it has pushed us outside of our comfort zone in a lot of ways. Um, And this is a great example of how it's pushed me out of my comfort zone and really Um, encouraged me to keep growing in my walk with the Lord in a more intentional way. So I'm excited to share with you this morning and I'm going to be speaking specifically about what God is teaching me in this present season. Over the years of my life I have walked through many seasons of change, depression, anxiety, and the list goes on and on. Um, The struggle of identity is one that is not a new one for me. For the past three years I have had the incredible opportunity of being involved with helping to plan an annual large gathering each January. When I initially took the position, on paper, I was not qualified at all for the role. But my supervisors decided to give me a shot. And God unexpectedly swung open a door that truly changed the trajectory of my life. In my early 20s, I wrestled with uh, the big question of what I wanted to do with my life. And to be honest, what held me back was my internal battle of not feeling good enough or capable enough to step out of my comfort zone and try new things. Then out of nowhere, I became part of this amazing team, and I had the chance to learn, grow, and be pushed beyond what I thought I was capable of. I felt like I had finally found my sweet spot where my passions and my skills collided. I absolutely loved getting out for work and taking on the different challenges and tasks at hand. I was thriving in a way that I hadn't before. Fast forward to the end of March, um, we were beginning to pan for the future of the event and then it all had to come to a sudden halt as all large events were cancelled due to COVID. Unfortunately, this meant I was let go of my position. In a matter of days, I went from working long hours firing on all cylinders to all of a sudden being completely stopped in my tracks. I felt like the rug had been pulled out from underneath me. And the first thing that crossed my mind was who am I without this job and what is my purpose now? At the time, I was 18 weeks pregnant, and to be honest, I was absolutely terrified to be wrestling with such big questions before making the transition into motherhood in August. My plan was to work right up until maternity leave, and then all of a sudden I had a blank canvas for five months. Even though this has taken me by total surprise, I know God is not surprised by any of this. From this experience, I have learned that change confronts my false identity. My job had taken the center field in my life without me even knowing it. I think identity is something that I will constantly wrestle with. Um, We have messages in our culture that are always thrown our way and that convince us that being a mom or having a certain job title or living in a beautiful home will bring us fulfillment. We often catch ourselves saying phrases such as work is my life, family is my life, sports are my life. These aren't bad things, just like my job was not a bad thing. It was an incredible opportunity. But the thing that needs to change is Christ needs to be the first word in that sentence. Colossians 3 verse 4 states, When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When I read this passage, the phrase Christ who is your life stood out to me boldly. I felt like it jumped right off the page. And I kept repeating it over and over again. Christ, who is your life. What does that really mean? As I reflected further, I came across a few passages in Scripture that really helped me let the truth sink into my heart. Before believing in Jesus, your life begins the day that you die. Your life ends the day that you die. But as it says in 1 Peter 1, verse 23, when you accept Jesus into your life, you move, you transform from being a perishable being into an imperishable one. Your life is now eternal. This view radically transforms our view of our identity. Further in Romans 8, it talks about the spirit dwelling in us, eternal life inside of us, living, operating and breathing within us. Mm -hmm. So what would each day look like if you operated from this perspective? I would contend that our lives would radiate a peace and contentment, regardless of our current reality, beautifully bringing glory to our Creator. This truth has resonated with me very strongly in this season of job loss, transition, quiet, and and especially during my pregnancy as my understanding of identity has deepened by experiencing life growing inside of me. I have heard Psalm 139 so many times before, and on my many walks recently, I feel like God has placed this Um, so strongly on my heart and so what I'm going to do with you this morning is I'm going to read Psalm 139 from the message and I want you to close your eyes and let the words soak into your heart and your spirit oh yes you shape me first inside then out you form me in my mother's womb I thank you high God you're breathtaking body and soul I am marvelously made I worship in adoration what a creation! You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit, like how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread before you. The days of my life all prepared before I even lived one day. What would your response be if the rug was pulled out from under you today? Where is your life found? Perhaps in your own life you are searching for identity and we can all together discover that when we know our creator deeply, it reveals our identity. God is an unchanging God. Even when seasons change, he remains the same. And that is a powerful place to begin.
4: Hi everyone, my name's Anthony, and I'm the Next Steps team lead, and I'm also one of the musicians on the worship team. And I go by different nicknames in different contexts, but somehow in City Collective, I've ended up with the nickname Biggs or Biggie. Anyway, in looking at Colossians 3, my thoughts were initially all over the place, but I eventually focused in on verse 16 and 17, which talks about joy and gratitude, and doing all things for Christ. And in thinking and reflecting on where I'm at during this time, on a quiet Saturday evening, I end up writing a spoken word poem. This poem is called Done With That, Thankful for This, and it covers struggles with mental health, but ultimately turning over and putting that away and being thankful for what we have in this present moment. Enjoy. Lately, these days, I have trouble staying joyful as we've been stuck at home. Eyes straining, back slumping, constant zooming, for hours on end. Like this is our new reality. And we're all living in the ground, relying on our new technology. You could write a song about that called virtual insanity. You see, these strange times called quarantine times, that God's looking for signs. Signs that this will all end and this will never happen again. All of us, born in the house. Maybe with someone, maybe not, but feeling just a little bit ignored. Every square inch of our home already been explored with Lysol and Mr. Clean. And we're hoping that this quarantine is just once in a lifetime. And as we scroll through our news feeds online, barely going outside, our hopes are dashed when we realize that this is going to last for a long time. And as we watch on TV authorities arguing prime time, I pour myself another glass of wine sitting on the sidelines, worry about the people I know on the front line. And slowly, I start to feel my mental health decline as I start to lament the pressures of life combined. I might need a 1-800 hotline after moments I spent broken down where I've cried, stir crazy on the daily, thinking that the grass is better on the other side, and you ask me to talk about being joyful in Christ when I can barely see past my own melancholy, like I'm slumping deep in my computer chair, like I'm trapped in a jail, like the keyboard keys are the teeth of Jonah's whale, and all of my thoughts are just question marks and I've lost the fire and the spark. Because weeks on weeks alone, slow dancing in the dark. Lacking peace in the fragmented piece of my heart have me convinced that I'm void of love. And maybe I just need to ignore that with a shrug. Maybe I just need to take more drugs. Maybe I need to unplug. Maybe, maybe I just need a hug. Crawling into a ball, up against the wall, isolated and alone, and I will lie to myself. No one's thinking of me, and ain't nobody praying for me. But the preacher man encouraged me to turn to Colossians 3 and dig just a little bit deeper. Fifth verse said, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. It's as if the Bible was a mirror for my life, and it listed all these things that I'm ashamed of. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these and i read and i question myself i'm not sure if i'm the man to be on this podium i'm caught in the undertow i've become so numb not sure what to do with the griefs i've yet to overcome but i keep on reading and reading and finally it tells me to be thankful and let the words of christ dwell and out of that sing psalms and words from the spirit so I'm writing rhymes of what I've learned during this quarantine and between the lines you can glean a little bit of joy and a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of thanks and a try with some rhythm, ideas for living life on mission because I did it for the vine and I did it for the kingdom. So here's a bit for the kids at home and a bit for you and me. Done with that, but thankful for this. Done with that old self. Done with the things that you used to follow. You know, the things in your life that left your soul hollow. Done with the idols. You know, the one you put on a pedestal above all else? Whether it was money, person, place, or thing, it's a wheel of fortune where the outcome is spiritual bankruptcy or temporary bling, but thankful for the word that became flesh and the word that gives life and speaks life that's renewed and refreshed. Done with that envy for my brother, the one where I see his life with green eyes and ask, how am I still here? And he ended up there flying above mountain skies while I'm here stuck underground, but thankful for the knowledge that God sees the whole picture and in going up my brother is helping and blessing others and I going underground and digging underground well, I'm just making space for the cornerstone of a life built on God's love done with all the lies and the negative thoughts done with placing my identity on what I do rather than what God did for me done with all the legalisms that led to the isms and the schisms where the letter of the lost ruled than the spirit of wisdom Done with the old clothes that don't impress and put on that new armor watch me drip and finesse. Done with the anxiety that chokes the wellspring of life from where we draw hope, but thankful for the grace that God gives in living life to the fullest. Thankful for the friendships. the day ones that keep us grounded, the real ones that remind me that we're surrounded. Done with all that, the issues that gnaw our hearts, but thankful that we can let go and let God, who picks us up like two footprints in the sand become one, like when he said it, it is done and picks us up and fills us up till my cup runneth over and all our cups runneth over and spills forth and gives forth to others. As I see a church that despite the circumstances and the historical moment we live in, we still sing and shout and praise the name but the Lord is good and his love reigns forever. And I see a church that instruct and teach and they'll not know us just by the words we preach but our actions and our deeds. And I see a church where the people let the word dwell in their hearts and they lived it and you can taste and see the fruit of the spirit. And they did it with joy, they did it with wisdom. They did it with thanks and a try with some rhythm. They did it with love of life on mission because they did it for the vibe and they did it for the kingdom. And after a few weeks in the belly of the beast, it's as if the whale spit me out on the sandy beach. And as I reorient myself in space and time and try to listen to where God wants me to go, I stop and realize I need the church. I need my friends. I need a hug with arms that extend. I'm done with that, but thankful for this, that I don't have to go out alone, stepping into the new unknown. And so we went with joy, we went with wisdom, we went with thanks and trying with some rhythm. We went with love of life on mission, because we did it for the vine, and we did it for the kingdom.
0: Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or, if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.